Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. Beautiful song with an incredible message for us this morning. If you have your Bible, please open Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. The next three weeks, today and two more following weeks, we're going to be working through Deuteronomy chapter 4. An incredible chapter uh, about... Uh, God preparing his people through Moses to enter into the promised land. And so we're going to work through those, uh, through three sections of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Following that, I'm super excited. Where uh, God laid on my heart a little while back uh, a sermon series uh, that I'm very excited about. It's going to be titled, Rejected by Men, Chosen by God. And so it's going to be a character study going through the Bible about this, the specific people, not just any people. God did amazing things through all kinds of different people. But we're going to be talking about the people in the Bible who are rejected, who are overlooked, who are underestimated, but who God used in a mighty, awesome way. So I'm very excited about that. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 14. Now Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I am giving you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed every one of you who followed Baal of Peor. But you who have remained faithful to the Lord your God are all alive today. Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to possess. Carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people's. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, This great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it, as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. The day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Assemble the people before me, and I will let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and may instruct their children. You came near and stood at the base of the mountain, a mountain blazing with fire into the heavens and enveloped in a dense black cloud. Then the Lord spoke to you from the fire. You kept hearing the sound of the words, but didn't see a form. There was only a voice. He declared his covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which he wrote on two stone tablets. At that time, the Lord commanded me to teach you statutes and ordinances for you to follow and the land you're about to cross into and possess. Please join me in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning ready to hear from your word. We thank you for the time of worship through song. We thank you for the messages that you are our firm foundation, that when all else fails, when we struggle through life, when we don't know where else to look, Father, we look to you and we find hope and peace. Father, as we dig into your word this morning, as we read from Deuteronomy chapter 4, we pray that you would open our eyes to the situation that the Israelites were in, to the message that you gave to Moses for them, Father, and that we would be able to apply it to our lives, that we would hear from you this morning. Father, have your way in this place. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And it's a very exciting time as we continue to remember back uh, to the incredible things that this man did, the incredible speeches he gave for his movement for racial equality. Uh, on uh, August 28, 1963, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Chapel and he, or Lincoln Memorial, and he proclaimed an entire speech dedicated for racial justice. I'm going to read a brief portion of that. Before I do read that, I would like to remind you that these, this is a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. There are some phrases in that that are archaic and are not politically correct today. Understand this is not how he meant that. Yes, I'm taking a risk by doing this from the pulpit. But I think that these words are worthwhile when we remember that this is the message of Martin Luther King Jr. He said, five score years ago, a great American and whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon of light to, of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring the sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take a tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. Martin Luther King made some bold statements. Throughout his life, but especially there, if you didn't recognize that's the I have a dream speech, usually we skip to the end where I have a dream that my children will be judged by, not by the color of their skin, but by the contents of their character. But that's how his speech begins. And he was declaring a sacred truth that has been foundation from the beginning of our country that all men are created equal and worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So as we celebrate Martin Luther King tomorrow, I also recognize that this passage, we're grateful for this section that he said, for everything that he said and everything that he did, and we do want to remember that this weekend. 
But I also recognize that this passage is very similar to the one that we're discussing this morning out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. In this passage, Martin Luther, or in the speech, Martin Luther King, he says, you all need to remember something. And how does he begin? He reminds them of a couple of things. First, the Emancipation Proclamation. And then it reminds them of the Founding Fathers' promise of life and the pursuit of liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Very similarly in this passage, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses has led the people of Israel, he's led them out of Egypt through great miracles that the Israelites were able to see. He saw the strongest nation in the world brought almost to ruins. He led the people of Israel out of Egypt to the Red Sea when the army chased them and they saw God deliver with a mighty hand lead them through the Red Sea on dry ground. They got to the other side and they cried out and praised God. God led them to the Mount Sinai where he gives them the law. No sooner do they get there than they start turning away. They decide that Moses has been up on the mountain too long. And if you remember that mountain, we'll discuss it more a little bit later. But that mountain was covered in smoke and fire with thunder and lightning. And the people were intimidated. The people were afraid. And so God continued to bring the people of Israel out. And no sooner did they make it to Mount Sinai than they turn away. They build an idol made out of the gold that they had taken out of Egypt, and they worship and serve this idol. They watched everything God did, and then they build this golden calf, they turn to the people and say, behold the God who led you out of Egypt. There was punishment for that, but God brought them through and they continue to get ready to enter into the promised land. And at this point, they are getting ready to see the promised land. They can see it off in the distance, but God has revealed that Moses will not enter the promised land. Moses will stay behind. He's gonna be able to be brought up on top of the mountain. He is going to look at the promised land, but he'll never enter it. And so Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, he is giving them his final words. He's going to give them direction as they prepare to enter the land that God had promised their descendants all the way back to Abraham. And so as you read this passage, remember the point of this. Remember that this is Moses' message to the people of Israel as he sends them off. Imagine if you had one last thing to say to somebody. Maybe you're leaving your job. Maybe it's something more fierce, but imagine that you have one thing to say to your children, to your spouse, to your coworkers. What kind of message would it be? And the truth is, I don't know what it would be, but it would be important. It would be an important message. And so this message from Moses to the Israelites is something that we need to listen to, not only because it was vital for the Israelites entering the land, but also because it's gonna be vital for us. That God has a message for us in Deuteronomy chapter 4. In this passage, in the section we're discussing this morning, God, uh, through Moses, God gives the people four commands. Okay. Look at verse 1 through 2. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. The first command that God gives through Moses to the Israelites is to listen. He says, Now Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I am giving you. Is people of Israel, listen. Now listen is an important word all throughout scripture and it's an important word for us. If you're a parent like me, you use that phrase multiple times a day. 
okay? If you are a teacher, you use it hundreds of times a day. You tell people you need to listen, okay? Now, notice there is a difference between listen and hear, okay? Some of us are very good at hearing and very bad at listening, Some of us hear the words, but it doesn't resonate inside of us. And the people of Israel, this is what Moses is telling them. All of them have heard the word of God. Literally, we hear the word of God in the Bible. They heard the word of God coming from the mountain, from Mount Sinai. God spoke to them in a powerful way. God declared the commandments to them. God declared his law to them. All of them heard, but Moses' message for the people of Israel is... Listen. Listen to the statutes, to the ordinances, to the commands of God. Why? There's a very important reason for that. He says, so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. We have an if-then statement there. If you listen, what? Then you will enter the land that God has promised. Remember, this promise goes way back to Abraham. God promised it to Abraham. He promised it to Isaac. He promised it to Jacob. Then later on, he promised it to Moses. He says, this is the land that I'm going to give to your people. And he told Abraham from the beginning, your people will be enslaved for 400 years, okay? That wasn't a shock. That didn't surprise God. He didn't say, oh man, I had no idea that my people were going to be stuck in Israel or in Egypt. I guess I need to figure something out. That never came as a shock to him. God knew it. He told Abraham, your people will serve as slaves in Egypt for 400 years, but then I will bring them out to this land that you see before you. And that was enough for Abraham. Abraham stepped out in faith and trusted God. God gave the same promise to Isaac. And he trusted God. God gave the same promise to Jacob. And then God gave the same promise to Moses and says, this is the land. It's finally time. I'm taking you in. But the commandment is, listen. Why? So that you may enter the land the Lord your God has promised you. You know, God makes promises to us all the time. A lot of people, they open up the Bible and they say, you know what? I want to know what God has promised me. And I've had people say that to me. Can you point in the Bible and tell me specifically what God has promised me? Not what God has promised a nation. Not what God has promised Christians. Not what God has promised the Jews. What has God promised Brian? Okay? And the truth is, you open up the Bible, there's nowhere that it says, Brian, God says. But are there promises that God has made in the Bible that apply directly to me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Most of them turn into our worship songs. God of refuge. One of my favorite hymns is Rock of Ages. I just love the words of that. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. I love that passage because when I'm distressed, when I'm going through hard times, and I can cry out to God, and I can say, God, you promised me this, okay? I'm not calling God on his promise. I'm not even reminding him. God knows what he's promised me. You know who I'm reminding? Me. God remembers his promises to me, but sometimes I don't. Moses is writing to the people of Israel and he's saying, behold, this is what God says to you. Thus says the Lord. But you need to listen to it. Listen to it so that you can enter and take possession of the land that the Lord has given you. The second one that he gives them, the second command, first is to listen. The second one is to remember. And God through Moses, reminds the Israelites of two specific instances. And we find both of them in the Bible. 
The first one that he calls them to remember is called Baal of Peor, okay? This is not something that you're going to hear about very often in Sunday school. This isn't a Bible verse that you mentioned in, in third grade Sunday school class or actings, okay? It's not a very popular story, and you're going to see why in a minute, okay? If you open up to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 25, Numbers 25 we find a peculiar story, and you find a few of these throughout Scripture. But in this story, the people of Israel sinned and turned away from God. God gave them the command. He says, as you leave Egypt, there are a few things that he continually tells them to do, and one of them is not to intermarry. Okay? And there's a reason for that. Okay? I was a youth minister for many years before coming, and I actually do remember one time where I had someone come up to me. It was a, a, a girl, and, you know, I didn't plan this for Martin Luther King week, but, okay, not, it's not a race thing. Well, it was for them, okay? It was a little white girl, and she came up to me and sat down and said, I have a problem because my parents don't like the fact that I like a black boy, okay? And so the fact that she had a crush on someone of a different race, and so her parents actually opened up the Bible and said, the Bible says not to intermarry. Okay. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible is talking about. What did the Bible actually command regarding interracial relations? Did it tell people not to marry outside of their race? It told the Israelites that, but it never says don't marry them because they're a different skin color. It never says don't marry them because they're a different language. You know what it says? Don't marry these people because they will lead your heart away from the Lord. God was not concerned with their skin color or language. He was concerned with their idolatry. He was concerned with their sin. And he says, if you go into there and you marry them, they will lead you away from the Lord. And should the Israelites say, yep, sounds good. And they go into the land. What's the first thing they do? They intermarry and they're led away. Numbers chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, says, While Israel was staying in Acacia Grove, the people began to have sexual relations with the women of Moab. The women invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. Does this sound familiar? Like exactly what God told them was going to happen? The women invited them to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed and worshipped to their gods. So Israel aligned itself with Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Exactly what God told them. He says, when you go into this land, they serve pagan gods. Okay, so we talk about, is this a race thing? No, it's not a race thing. If you tell me I like someone of a different race, that's fine. I'm much more concerned when you say I like someone who is not of the faith, someone who does not worship the one true God. If you say, yes, I feel attracted to this person, that's a problem. Because they will lead your heart away. I've done so many counselings, and they say, well, I am a Christian, and I am something else. Well, that's going to be a problem. There's no wonder you have friction at home. Because your loyalties are to two different places. And so God commands them. He says, don't go, when you go in here, you do not intermarry with them because they will lead your heart away from the Lord. Sure enough, they come to the acacia groves. They have sexual relations with the women of Moab. The women of Moab invite them to worship their gods, and so that Israel aligned itself with Baal of Peor. Some translations say they yoked themselves. Okay? If you're not familiar with the term, it's a, a farming term. 
Okay, you take two oxen, you yoke them together. You take this big wooden thing, at least back then it was a big wooden thing, it goes over each of their necks, it helps them to use their power to pull together. Okay, there's only two places, or two uh, instances in the Bible, or two examples in the Bible, where it uses the term yoked. One is talking about cattle. The other is talking about marriage. Okay, later in the Bible, it would say, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. It's saying, don't tie yourself down with them. If you're hearing me saying, don't have any relationship with non-believers, that is not what I'm saying. Okay, you should have relationships with non-believers. How else are they going to hear the gospel from you? You should have coworkers. You should never be the point where, nope, I'm sorry, I only hang out with my little Christian community. That is never what God called us to. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what the disciples did. But when you are yoking yourself to someone, when you are building a deep, intensive relationship, okay, someone who does not worship the same God as you should never be your closest confidant. Your deepest, most intimate relationships should never be with someone who cannot understand that your most primary goal in life is to worship the one true God and to live a life that is pleasing to him. How much more does that apply to your spouse? How much more does that apply to your spouse when you say, you know what, I'm sorry, but... I like you, but there is one foundational thing that I am not willing to compromise on. I need a husband or a wife. And by the way, that's what dating is for, is for ultimately marriage, okay? Bad things happen. Well, we're just dating. Well, what happens when you fall in love with that person? When your most foundational relationships are people who lead you away from God, it's going to be just like the Israelites. The Israelites ignore the commandment of God, and sure enough, what happens is exactly what God said would happen. So they have these relationships. They say, oh, come on over. You can worship our gods with us. And the Israelites yoked themselves to Baal of Peor, okay? Baal is the name of the god. Peor is the location. And they say, you know what? We don't even know that they said we don't need our god anymore, but why not add one more to it? And so God's anger burns against the people, and so God brings a plague upon them, and over 24,000 people die until the people come back to God and they cry out to him. It's a very dark story that I'm not going to go into this morning, but read Numbers 25. It's a very dark story of what happens when people decide that they're going to do what they want to do instead of what God has called them to do. Okay, you find that in Judges all the time. You know what the theme of Judges is? And every man did what he thought was right in his own eyes. This is what you see here. Instead of listening to the command of God, they turn aside and they face judgment. I don't know how many of you guys have ever experienced that before. Probably all of us if we think about it. You know, I used to think, you know, when I was growing up and I was in youth, and I, I, used to, I, I have a, I'm blessed with an incredible mom uh, who has done so much for me and who is honestly much wiser than I am. And so I was the youth, and my mom would be like, Brian, you need to watch out for this. <sighs> no, you don't know what you're talking about. Brian, here's how this is going to play. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Brian, you need to watch out for this. This is how things go. Ah, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. And sure enough, what happened? Exactly what she said was going to happen. And you know how long it, takes me, it took me to figure out that she actually knew what she was talking about? I don't know, maybe I will someday. Um, <laughs> because I still operate that way. Man, you, you, just, you don't know what you're talking about. And sure enough, here's what we have in the scripture. 
God says, this is the way it's going to go. And we do our own things. We do what's right in our eyes. And we come back and we'll be like, you know what? God, you were right. And then the next time comes up. What are the commands that God gives? The first is to listen. The second is to remember. What's the first instance? Baal of Peor. Do you remember that time when you ignored what I told you to do, when you didn't listen to the words I gave you, and sure enough, you had these inappropriate relationships that led you to sin and idolatry against me? Do you remember that? Do you remember the 24,000 people who died? Do you remember that judgment that came? That's important. What's the second thing that Moses reminds them of? The second thing is Mount Sinai. Look at verses 9 through 14. Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 14. It says, Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that, so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. The day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, assemble the people before me and I will let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and may instruct their children. You came near and stood at the base of the mountain, a mountain blazing with fire into the heavens and enveloped in a dense black cloud. Then the Lord spoke to you from the fire. You kept hearing the sound of the words, but you didn't see a form. There was only a voice. He declared his covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which you wrote on two stone tablets. At that time, the Lord commanded me to teach you statutes and ordinances for you to follow in the land that you're about to cross into and possess. He says, do you remember that experience in Mount Sinai? When you were brought up to this mountain, open it up and read the Exodus account when they actually went up to Mount Sinai. And they come to this mountain that is blazing with fire. In fact, there are geological accounts where they've actually examined, they've tried to find Mount Sinai. Sinai, where they have a hard time because it's mostly, you know, modern day Iran and Turkey, which we can't do a lot of excavation out there. But there is one mountain out there that is completely black, completely around the top of the mountain, and no scientist can figure out why there's no shrubbery, no life on top of that mountain, and it's completely black on the top. Do you know what the biblical account says might have been Mount Sinai? The mountain where God blazed down in thunder and lightning that caught on fire and smoke that the Israelites watched from a distance that they heard God speak from out of the mountain. Do you think that might have been a significant impact on their lives? Do you think that might be something they look back and tell their children and grandchildren about? Most of us talk about this famous athlete or famous actor, the time we went to a coffee shop and saw, you know, Chris Pratt or whoever your favorite actor is. You know, if you have this incredible thing, you go to uh, whatever game it is, okay? If one of your football players makes it to the professionals, I saw him back when he was a wolf pack. I saw that person in concert, I went to Taylor Swift back when she was a nobody. And we tell our children all that stuff. And these people saw the living God come down in power on Mount Sinai. And they heard his voice. Now, when I first read this, it was like, okay, so we have like a negative memory and a positive memory. That's actually not true at all. Because you know how the Israelites responded when they actually saw God's presence fall on the mountain and heard him speak from it? They said, don't let us do that anymore. Moses, let God talk to you. Whatever you say, we'll follow. Just don't let us experience that again. They were petrified at the power of God that they had seen. 
Here, Moses is, is encouraging the people. He says, you're about to go into the nation that God has promised you. This 400-something-year-old promise, God is about to fulfill it. But when you do, first, listen to the commands that he has given you. Don't forget them when you go. Second, remember. Remember what God has already done in your life. Remember the sin that you faced judgment for. Remember when God spoke to you in an amazing way that you saw his presence. When I was a youth leader, I took the kids to a camp, and it was one of my first camps that we took them to. And if you've never been to youth camp, you should go, by the way. Incredible blessing. You learn so much. Uh, it's just an, an incredible experience, whether a youth or an adult. Um, but what they did was they had different mods. And I don't remember what they actually called them, but they had the giant corporate worship times, and then they had the small classes that they do. And the classes all had different topics. And one of the classes that was optional for the, for the youth to take was called spiritual mapping. Okay? If you don't know what that is, neither did I. It's called spiritual mapping. What in the world is spiritual mapping? I didn't sign up. But later I found out that some of my youth actually went there. And so I asked them afterwards, what is spiritual mapping? First off, mapping doesn't entertain me at all. I had to take a mapping class for the army. I failed. It was terrible. I have no sense of direction. I asked Pastor Nick one time, said, which direction is east? He said, uh, over there towards the east property. I think I probably could have figured that one out on my own, but I'm not that quick, okay? So I don't have any interest in mapping, but some of our youth signed up for it. And what it was, it wasn't this geographical map. It was mapping their lives. And they were going back and they were reflecting on their lives and they were marking significant points. Why? Because then they looked at their significant points all throughout their life. And some of them are as good things the day they accepted Christ, the day they got baptized, the day they went on a mission trip. Some of them, it was their parents' divorce when one of their family members passed away, stuff like that. There's all these significant parts that played a role in shaping who they had become up to that point. And the point of the class was to look through those and to see the ways that God had brought them through each of those. See the ways that God used each of those events in their lives. Okay. If I could go back in time, I would have taken that class. Moses says, you need to remember these significant events. One, Baal of Peor. Do you remember when the people sinned and God's judgment came upon them? Do you think that's something worth remembering? The Israelites say, yeah, it is. Do you remember when you came up to Mount Sinai and you saw God descend in power and awe to the point where you shielded yourself and you said, don't let that happen anymore. We don't, that's too much of God's presence for us. That scares us. Just speak to your servant Moses and we'll listen. And Moses says, you remember that. You remember those feelings. You remember the time that you didn't listen to God and you faced judgment. You remember that time that you saw his presence, you heard his word, and you heard his commands. The third thing that he commands them is to follow. He tells them, listen to the commands, to the statutes that God has given you. Remember where God has had an impact in your life. The third thing is to follow. Look at verses five through six. 
Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me so that you may follow them and the land you are entering to possess. Carefully follow them for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, this great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. Is you need to listen to the word and commands of God. You need to remember the ways that he's impacted your life. You need to follow. See, that's the one that we struggle with. I'm fine listening, but when it shapes the way that I have to live my life, I don't like it nearly as much. When I read the Bible, it says, oh, according to the Bible, I should listen like this. That's fine. Here's what I should know. That's fine. Here's how I should change my life, change the things I'm comfortable with. Hold on. Wait, you mean I'm actually supposed to change the way that I live my life? I'm actually supposed to change my language, the way that I talk? I'm supposed to change my thought life? I'm supposed to change the way that I interact with the people at work? But some of them drive me nuts, and I don't want to change that. But these areas of my life that I like the way that they are. Yeah, but God doesn't. Tells the Israelites this, not only do you need to listen to the word, but you need to follow them. You need to model your life after what you hear in the word of God. See, that is the primary fault. Our churches, okay, they, our numbers go up and down, okay? And you hear all these reports, oh, uh, the church in America is growing. The church in America is shrinking. Uh, people are coming to Christ in droves or people are leaving the church in droves. And most of it doesn't matter because most of the people who are attending church are only attending church so they can hear, but they're never going to follow. They're never going to take the word of God. And when they do their devotional time and they read the word, they read it so they can check off a box, but it makes no impact on their lives. It doesn't matter if all of our churches in America explode, if nobody's taking the word home and saying, you know what, not only am I going to hear, not only am I going to listen, but I'm going to follow the great song, trust and obey. We like the trust. We don't like the obey. God's my refuge when I need him, but what, when I, what about when I don't feel like I do? What's God's command through Moses to the Israelites? First, to listen. First, to rem- second, to remember what he has done. The third is to follow him. It's probably the most simple and the most difficult for us to do. The fourth thing that God gives, commands them is to understand Verses seven through eight, God tells them, he says, for what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? He says, you need to understand. Remember, this is the Israelites we're talking about. How did the Israelites start? How many people when God said, you will be my nation? Just the one. He says, Abraham, I'm going to turn you into my nation. I have called you out. And there's passages of scripture where God says, it's not because you were bigger. It's not because you were better. It's because I have chosen you. Sure enough, Abraham has a miracle child, blossoms into an entire nation just as God promised. That would be too numerous to count, more than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And God says through Moses to the Israelites, he says, you need to understand your relationship to your God. What other nation can say the things that Israel can? He says, what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? Do you know what other religion has that? None of them do. 
Do you know what other group of people can cry, at this time could cry out to God and be like, God, we want you to direct our paths. We want you to have an intimate role in our nation going forward. Not one of them could. Remember the story of Elijah when he would stand on Mount Carmel and he brought all the prophets of Baal to him and they had this whole competition where the people of Baal, they actually each have an altar set up and Elijah says, okay, we're gonna pray to our God. You pray to Baal, I'm gonna pray to Yahweh and we're gonna see which one of them can light this fire. And the prophets of Baal, they start crying out to Baal and what happens? Nothing. They actually start cutting themselves because Baal believes in blood sacrifice. Maybe if you show you're sincere, then maybe your God will reach out and do this for you. And so they start cutting themselves and pouring out their blood and nothing happens. Why? Well, it's obvious. Baal doesn't exist. Baal doesn't exist outside the statue form. These people did not have a God who was intimate in their lives that they could cry out to. In fact, Elijah's actually taunting them. Hey, maybe your God's, you know, in the bathroom. He actually says that. Maybe your God's using the toilet. He'll be back in a minute. Okay? That, that's actually straight out of scripture. That's not me making stuff up. Elijah actually says, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe, he, maybe he's, he's busy right now. He'll come by in a little bit. He's making fun of the prophets of Baal, okay? He gets points for winning, not points for teammanship, okay? But then what does Elijah do? Elijah doesn't cut himself. He doesn't start dancing around the altar. He doesn't start, you know, building these statues or offering these sacrifices. He cries out and says, God, please. And fire rains from heaven. It consumes the entire altar and actually all the water that was surrounding it because his altar was soaked. What other nation has a God that is intimate in their spiritual lives? Do you know what other group of people besides Christians have a God who cares about what they do? Who has a God who hears them when they cry out to him? You ever hear the, the, the Bible verse that says, where two or three gathered together in my name, there I am with them? By the way, one of the most taken out of context Bible verses, and I'm grateful for that because you know what? When I pray alone, God's there too. Okay, I don't need two or three people to pray to God. When I cry out to God, if I am all alone, if there's nobody within 100 miles, and I say, God, hear me, God does every single time. The letter from Moses says, do you understand, Israelites, that there's no other nation in the world like you? There's no other nation that cries out to God and has God hear them, listen to them, and act on their behalf. It doesn't exist. Israel, you are the only one. In fact, we find that again in the New Testament. If you open up to First uh, Peter, First Peter chapter 2, Peter's writing, and he tells, not the Jews, not the Israelites, he has a message for Christians. He says, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you know who in the entire world can make that claim? only followers of Jesus Christ. 
Only people who can cry out to God and say, God, I know that I am not worthy, but I know that you are. I know that you love me so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins so that I could become a child of God. And you know how many other uh, religions can say that? Not one. You know how many other religions can cry out and say, you know what, God, I want you to reach into my life? Not one. Moses' message to the Israelites is you need to listen to what God has told you to do. You need to remember the way that God has worked in your life. You need to follow what he has told you to do. And you need to understand that you have an incredibly blessed relationship where you can cry out to the God of the universe, the God who created the oceans. You realize that we, haven't, we don't understand what's at the bottom of our ocean. We are so intent on exploring space and we haven't figured out our own planet, but we can worship the God who made it. The God who put every star in place, who knows everyone by name, who created all the galaxies further, not only than we know, but than we can comprehend. He knows every single one, and he cares about you. He has a plan for your life. Not your life, for your life. Every individual person in here, God has a plan for you. He loves you. He has a passion for you. He sent his son to die on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could spend eternity with him, and even before that, so he could use you on this earth in a powerful, mighty way. This morning's message is to remind us, not only of the Old Testament stories, because those are important, We need to understand how God interacted in the lives of the Israelites, but we also need to understand how he interacts in our lives and what this means for us. God has a command for you. He has given you his word with a command for you, what? To listen. For a command for you to remember, because God has worked in awesome ways in your lives. With a command for you to follow what he's commanded you to do under the command for you to understand that he loves you so much. You have a special relationship with him. I was talking to somebody earlier this week about what it actually means to be blessed by God. And so many times, you know what it means when I say I'm blessed? It means that, you know, I I have a full bank account, okay? It means that I have a beautiful family, okay? And that's true. I am blessed in that I have a beautiful family. I am blessed that I can pay my bills. Does that mean people who can't pay their bills aren't as blessed? Does that mean people whose families may have fallen apart or have lost a family member to a sickness? You know what it means when I say that God has blessed me? The God of the universe loves me. The God of the universe has a plan for me. God of the universe has called me his child, not because of anything I've done, but because of his grace and because of his mercy. He's blessed me in a lot of minor ways besides that. But most importantly, when you say that God has blessed me, that's what it means. God has a plan for you. Will you listen to him this morning? When God says, here's what I want from you, here's what I'm calling you, here's the encouragement and love and, and hope that you need, when you say, God, I hear you. I'm listening to you, and I'm going to follow. We're about to go into our time of invitation. We're going to keep working through this passage. This is just the introduction of what Moses is saying to the people of Israel, and we're going to go through that for two more weeks, and it's just awesome. It's just an incredible message, and I hope you're encouraged by this message this morning. But right now, we're going to enter a time of invitation, and maybe God's speaking to you in a special way. Maybe you're like, you know, 
Pastor Brian, you're talking about all this, you know, blessed to have a relationship with God, and I don't think I've had one. Well, then you're missing out on the greatest blessing he has for you. Maybe you're like, I, I would like to know more about that. I want to come forward and either ask Christ into my life, or maybe I'm not quite ready yet, and I just have some questions. That's okay. That's okay. You can come forward. You can catch me throughout this week. You can talk to one of the other pastors of the church or the deacons or so many godly people here and say, you know what? I just have some questions. I have some questions about the Bible. I have some questions about what it really means to follow him. This time of invitation is for you, whether you choose to come forward or whether you sit at your seat and say, God, I have some questions for you. I'd like to talk to you about that. This time of invitation is for you. Maybe you have accepted Christ, have a relationship, but you just need some time to reflect back on what God's done in your life. This is a great time for that while the music's playing. Maybe you've never been baptized. This is a great time for you to come forward. Maybe you wanna join the church or you have some other commitment, whatever God may be laying on your heart. My prayer for you is not that you'll necessarily come forward if this altar is open for you. My prayer for you is that you will do business with God this morning. That you'll cry out to God and be like, God, I don't know, but I want you to be a part of my life. I want to be your child. No matter what I go through, I want to be able to look to you and find that hope and peace that comes with being a child of God. Will you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for this time as we get to come together, as we get to worship you and sing your praise, Father. I thank you for your word out of Deuteronomy chapter four, for the message that Moses gave to the Israelites. I thank you for what we can learn from it, from their example. But even more importantly, the fact that all scriptures God breathed and is useful in our lives to make us mature and complete. We thank you that this passage was put there by you to shape our lives, to make us more into the image of your son. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of sending your son so that we could be forgiven of our sins. We thank you that you don't just do that and, and toss us aside, but that you have a plan for our lives, Father, for every person in here that you have a plan. And I pray that you would continue to open their eyes to the fact that you love them, care about them, and have a plan for them, Father. Lord, whatever people are feeling right now, whatever decisions that you are working in hearts right now, Father, I pray that they would surrender themselves to you, that they would cry out to you and find grace and mercy and peace in you, Father. Guide us this morning. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.